All right, we're going to continue our series this morning, which we've called Supernatural. We've um, taken the last month and we'll take the rest of this month to, to look at the, the aspects of the Christian life that are above and beyond us, that don't stem from us and us alone. We've looked at prayer, um, we've looked at the reality and the resources in spiritual warfare, and we're going to spend the next four weeks walking through um, what, what's often referred to in the New Testament as the spiritual gifts. Okay? And, and to put it simply before I even open the passage, the, the idea of spiritual gifts is that for those who are part of the body of Christ, who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, they've also received the Spirit. And part of one of the things that it means is uh, that if you have the Spirit, the Spirit gifts you for the benefit of the body. In other words, God imparts to you spiritual gifts to use for ministry. Okay. And I know as soon as I use that word ministry, sometimes we can limit that down to, to pastors and missionaries. But biblically, that's not the case. Anything you do that builds up the body of Christ, okay, which includes encouragement and generosity, which includes praying for one another, um, which includes teaching uh, and evangelism, adding people to the body through proclaiming Christ. All of these things are not just things you have an inherent knack for. And they're not things where God's like, well, I've given you the greatest message on earth and made you one body. Now do something. That salvation doesn't end with the things that Jesus has done, but as Pastor Nick said this morning, but Jesus is also doing something right now. And one of the ways he does that is that he gifts to us new abilities and possibilities to utilize in loving one another. Okay, And so we're going to look kind of generally at the idea of these spiritual gifts this morning and how the body works. And then the next three, week, uh, three weeks, we're going to look at the ones that are um, obviously supernatural. Okay? One of the things that's surprising about the spiritual gifts in this list is it includes not just things like prophecy or healing, but also administration, right? The ability to organize the body and put them to work in a way that functions well. Uh, or even gifts of service are mentioned, just the ability to stoop down and humbly take care of practical things. Those are just as spiritual and just as supernatural. However, there are a handful of gifts uh, that are supernatural enough that it's not that we don't recognize the spirit in them. We wonder if they're possible. Okay. And so the next few weeks, we'll talk about the gift of tongues. We'll talk about um, the gift of prophecy. And we'll talk about healing and miracles. Okay, so that's kind of where we're headed over the next month. But our goal today is just to broadly understand what spiritual gifts are available, how to find out um, which ones are working in your life, and what you're supposed to do with them. Okay? So for that end, I'd like you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're still getting familiar with your New Testament... You have the Gospels in the front, and then you have the book of Acts about the early church, and then we have what we call the epistles, these letters written by Paul and others to individuals and churches. And 1 Corinthians follows Romans, so it's Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. We're picking up in chapter 12. And we're really only going to focus on the first 11 verses this morning. But for all of our sake and benefit, I want to actually read the entirety of chapter 12, and then we'll pray, and then, and then we'll just focus on the first 11 verses. Here's what Paul tells this church in Corinth. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it are, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray. Father, this chapter begins and ends with an exhortation to the Corinthians and to us. The first one is Paul's desire that we not be uninformed, that we understand and put the gifts to use. And then at the end of the chapter, he finishes by addressing the Corinthians and us, saying that we should earnestly desire the best gifts. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our body this morning in such a way that the gifts that are present and known would be used effectively, and that the gifts that are present and unknown would be identified, and that the gifts that are absent that you would give us, and that that we would recognize, Lord, where you have given us longings and desires to serve the body in particular ways, we must wait upon you and ask for you to enable us so that our service may be effective. We just pray, Lord, that the whole body, as it says in Ephesians, would build itself up in love, but not just our love, but also in your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you were paying attention as I was reading, there's this constant swing in this chapter between two sets of words, or between two images. Okay? On the one hand, it's words like each and every and individual. On the other hand, it's all and whole. On one side, it's each and every one is a member. And on the other hand, it's the whole body. Those two are woven into this entire passage. And what he's trying to do is connect both together. Okay. And um, what seems to be the primary concern for Paul here is, is twofold. Okay. One is that if we don't recognize the body of Christ, that we'll try and live the Christian life as individuals. Okay. Now, if you've seen the, the artwork for this sermon series you know, we drew from superheroes the whole Clark Kent thing, pulling open and, and what's underneath. Um, but we need to understand that Christianity isn't a superhero religion. It's not you are the superman or the superwoman and you just, uh, you just have everything you need to just have victory in life. No, 
you need the body. Okay? And one of the concerns Paul has here is that we would think that, all right, I, in and of myself, just me and Jesus, that's it. Paul says, no, 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 no. You are a part of the body, and you need the rest of the body. You're no more effective at the Christian life than a foot is effective at being a body. We need one another. But the second concern he has is because the way the body functions is indifference and not similarity. A pile of feet is not a body, right? The concern is that that would cause division and even uh, partiality, that we would feel like we were the most important part of the body and other people were irrelevant. I love when he says here that you can't say, I have no need of you to another part of your body. Just think about that for a, for a second. The body of Christ needs, its other, needs each other in such a way that nobody gets to play the appendix. An unnecessary, disposable organ. As you look around the room, even this morning, the people who are like you and the people who are not like you, the people you know and the people you don't know, the people who you understand their value and the others, it's a struggle. You need them. One of the things that's clearly happening in the church in Corinth is that the way that they go about using the gifts is a mess. And part of the way it's a mess is that it's just chaos because it's turned into effectively a spiritual talent show. Okay? And people are using the gifts to manifest how holy or how in tune with the Holy Spirit they are or how significant they are. Okay? And so one of Paul's general drives here is to say, what are you doing? Do you not even understand the point and the purpose of the spiritual gifts? Okay, and so, so this is the context. And it is amazing how natural it is to find this happening within the body of Christ. To find division or a sense of spiritual arrogance or to define your existence or your value to the church through the spiritual gifts. It's an amazingly helpful passage. But it's also possible here uh, here this morning that some of you are going, I, I mean, I've read this passage before, but I don't really know what to do with it. And I, I think these things do happen, but what does that have to do with me, right? And so there are, there are others of us this morning that may not really realize that God has equipped us for a special role and, and not just, you know, drawn uh, out of a hat like when you have to put together a team and don't want to hurt anyone's feeling, and it's like, all right, you're going to be the quarterback and you're going to be the receiver, these types of things. But is instead actually equipped, each one specifically, supernaturally, through the gifts of the Spirit, to serve in a way so that we can be a whole body. Okay? So not only could we not just be a pile of feet, God hasn't made us one. And I'll tell you what, just in advance, one of the greatest shames that often happens in churches is that people desire particular gifts in such a way that they don't see and utilize their own, and the body suffers. So, let's look here back at the beginning. I want you to just notice the opening verses here in chapter 12. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul, as a representative, an apostle of Jesus Christ, does not want the Corinthians to misunderstand the gifts, to be ignorant of their existence or their operation. He doesn't want the scenario where here is this you know, platoon in the middle of war trying to figure out how to do things, and they don't realize that there's been a supply drop just over the hill with everything they need. Right? He doesn't want us to be uninformed. Okay. And this is, I think, a, difficult for us as, a difficulty for us as modern Christians because... Well, I'll give you an example. So um, one of the things that I do because I'm a pastor uh, is I check out what other churches are doing. And every once in a while, I'll tune into a YouTube video or a Facebook advert and just see how a church presents itself. And I still remember a church that was very open and uh, inviting and wanted everybody to come. And they were explaining that their church was accessible to non-Christians. 
And at the end, it flashed on the screen like a bad midnight ad. No weird stuff. Right? And I think sometimes when we read this passage, this falls in the category of weird stuff. And it's like, I know it's there, but I don't know what to do with it, so I'm just going to not do with it. Right? I'm not going to deal with it. But Paul doesn't want us to be uninformed. And, and the reason, very clearly from this passage in our reading, is because this is how the body functions. And without these things, the body doesn't function. Now let me just deal with one more thing that's clearly not the case in this passage. Clearly here, the way Paul presents spiritual growth for us as individuals and unity or community growth for us as a church is through the whole body doing its part. That is not the same thing as you guys are the recipients and the professionals are doing the work. Clearly. Sometimes we can have an, an MVP model of ministry, right? And so the only job that Christians have is to fill the seats, to, to load the bases, and then the pastor comes up and hits the home run and everybody makes it home. But that's so far from the picture that's presented in the New Testament. Pastors are important. Teachers are important. But they're not a whole body. And so I don't want you to be uninformed because I need your gifts and because we need your gifts and because Capitol Hill in Seattle needs your gifts. And hopefully that's not a weight to you. Because when I say your gifts, I mean the, the gifts the Spirit is giving you, right? I do not want you to be uninformed. And then notice what he says next, verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. He says, look, your life was spiritual before you became a Christian. Whatever it was that led you to idolize those things in your life to pursue these other things like we've talked about the last few weeks, there is a spiritual misinformation campaign and you were subject to it. Okay, That's where he starts. And I think he says this for two reasons. One, he needs the Corinthians to understand that spirituality can never be worn as just a badge. Being in tune with the universe or the things behind the curtain can be great, but it can also be terrible. It can be dangerous. It can be deception. You know, G.K. Chesterton said to the people of his time about 100 years ago, he said the problem with fortune tellers uh, is not merely uh, that, that they're all cads, that they're all fakes. He says it's that they believe that they tap into a spiritual realm and we trust that that spiritual realm has our best interest in mind. He's like, even if they're true, that's not a good reason to just scream into the dark and say, what should I do with my life? And heed the first thing that's shouted back. Right? That's where he starts here. And he says, spirituality is, is a part of life. We all engage with it. Okay? And so he says, I want you to recognize that that was a part of your life. But he's only making an illustration to get to his second point. He says, therefore, verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just point out that if we read this just word for word literally, that if you have the Spirit, you can't say Jesus is accursed, or that anyone who uh, says Jesus is Lord clearly has the Spirit, that doesn't work. Okay, I just read it aloud in front of all of you, these words, Jesus is accursed. And in the same way, the Bible is fully aware, Jesus himself talks about those who will confess him, but have to depart from him in the end because they never knew him. His point here is not a litmus test, like a secret password to get into the club. He's making a different point. He's suggesting that if you have recognized Jesus as Lord, the Spirit is already at work in your life. He's suggesting here that if you've become a Christian, the Spirit had something to do with that. And this is important because here's one problem that we experience broadly in our culture is that we don't recognize that there may be an evil part of spirituality as well as a good. But the second one we see here is that we don't recognize uh, that... um, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Um, 
we don't recognize that the spirituality presented in Christianity is an every member spirituality. It's a whole kit and caboodle spirituality. What I mean is, sometimes we think that the things we've read about here, tongues and prophecy and miracles, those are for upper echelon Christians. Those are a secondary thing available to the truly committed or the truly holy or these types of things. Let me remind you just off the bat that the Corinthians church is a total mess. Total mess. Okay? It's full of sexual immorality and infighting, uh, of greed and drunkenness. It is a complete mess. But they are functioning heavily in the spiritual gifts. Paul wants you to know this morning that if you have identified Jesus as Lord, then you have received the Holy Spirit. The two go together. It's part of your salvation. It's not an upgrade for 1995 more a month. You see, some of the times when we think about what Jesus has accomplished, we just think of the cross. And that's central. In fact, it's in this very letter when Paul says, When I came among you in the beginning, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. But that clearly and also, or clearly and truly included the gifts. Because they know about it, and they learned about it from Paul. Okay. When we make Jesus central, Jesus came, Jesus lived the life we could not live, Jesus died the death that we deserve. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended to heaven. And from that ascended point, he poured out the Spirit. That is the whole totality of what Jesus has done already. Okay. And so the Spirit, as we've talked about uh, many times, is a part of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. Okay. Now that does two things. One is... It opens up the possibility that there's more in your life than you realize. Resources that you're not currently aware of or making yourself available to. And two, it removes the ability for boasting because you're experiencing the Spirit. Okay. Now, let's continue and notice what he says in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay. Again, we see that two words set up, right? Varieties, same. Different, same. Many, one. Okay. In fact, there's something else that's really cool here that I just want to show you. Notice the phrasing of this and how God is identified in these three sentences. Now, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in all and everyone. It's Trinitarian in nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit, Lord, and God are all tied together as involved and participating in this. Okay. But in these varieties, which are given, as he says, to each, empowers them all in everyone... Right? You have the Spirit, you have this, there is also differences. And also, let's just notice one more thing. So it's gifts, but the same Spirit. It's varieties of service, but the same Lord. And varieties of activities, but the same empowerment. Okay. I think that's helpful. Because one of the things we need to do is, is blow out the walls on the possibilities in what we're talking about this morning. And so there are some who think of spiritual gifts uh, as, as being, um, as, as, as using that word gift. Okay, it's just it's a gift, it's a given, and what you need to do is just use it. But when we use the word service, it adds another layer to it. Okay. A service is not just a gift, it's a role. It's a calling. It's a vocation. Okay. It's a job to do. And then when it adds as well, um, at the end there, a variety of activities, okay, that means that there's a doing to it. There's, there's something going on, and those activities, as it says, is empowered. 
But notice this one in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What is that? That's the supernatural entering into the natural world. That's the hidden realities of who God is being made visible. That's what the word manifestation means. Okay. But notice this. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. This is not miracle working for marvel. Right? This isn't for shock and awe. This isn't magic tricks. It's for, here it says, the common good. In Ephesians 4 it says for edification, for building up. Uh, earlier we saw, as we read through the rest of chapter 12, it's for ministry, for doing the things that God has called us to do. And so there's, there's all of these parts involved. This is the Spirit being made visible. But what is the manifestation of the Spirit? Is it an apparition that shows up in the dark corners of a church building? Is it an image of Jesus that shows up on toast? And the manifestation of the Spirit here is us doing body life in a way that is greater than natural. Now, one of the things that's really interesting about the gifts, and and we've read a bunch of them, what's given here is clearly not exhaustive. You can read about uh, different words in Romans chapter 12 that adds the gift of leadership, as well as the gift of giving to meet needs, generosity. Uh, You can read about in Ephesians 4, where the gifts are presented primarily in terms of office, And so it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Evangelists and pastors are new to the list. In every place, it doesn't seem like Paul has a catalog. And it's like, let's just see which one God has delivered you. Oh, okay, it's this gift. Okay, It's it's broad. There's a variety here. Um, But what I want to draw your attention to is that they are, again, supernatural. And that goes even for giving. So the first question that always comes to mind for me, and I think it would be helpful for you to reflect on this morning, is what makes a gift a gift and not a talent? In fact, here's a good way to illustrate this. A lot of the things that are on this list are stuff that all Christians should do. That's true of service. We should just serve one another. Jesus makes that clear, right? Remember at the Last Supper, he washes the disciples' feet, as I have done, so also you should do for one another. Um, So there are things that all Christians do, and that's teaching as well. The author of Hebrews, writing to his congregation, says, by now you should all be teachers. In that sense, teaching is something that you do as a manifestation of maturity, and something you do as you disciple other believers, which is something we're all called to. On top of that, a lot of the things on this list, we also know there's innate and natural talents for. You don't need to be a Christian to do these things. Are there good leaders outside the church? Absolutely. Are there people who have a natural and even God-given talent for the things that are on this list who are not Christians? Yes. So what's the difference here? Here's what I would suggest to you. It's the Spirit's involvement that makes the difference. And this is a way that I would suggest that you learn to recognize your own gifts and the gifts in other people. We can recognize the spiritual gifts when people who do normal Christian things do them to a greater than normal yield. When natural things have a supernatural effect. Take the gift of encouragement. Basic Christian advice. You should try and encourage one another. That's, that's just clearly part of what it means to be the body of Christ. And again, it's one of the one another's. We are all supposed to do it. But when somebody operates in the gift of encouragement, it does more than when someone else just encourages someone. It's greater than the sum of its part. It has this supernatural impact. This is really easy to see with the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge as well. We're surrounded by smart people. We live in Seattle. We know something about knowledge. And sometimes we even know something about wisdom. But when there's a word of wisdom, you go, whoa, that's it. 
right? It's, it's like an airmail delivery dropped in your lap where you go, of course, you have a eureka moment, right? It doesn't feel like insight, it feels like provision. It doesn't feel like somebody just figured it out, it feels like a message from God, okay? And so, take teaching. What I do up here and the other teachers that you receive from, usually it's relatively basic stuff. And I'll tell you, as a teacher, for me, it's incredibly basic. It seems totally normal, and it feels just like talking about the things that I love. But sometimes people share with me the things God does through it, and I go, really? Right? Take giving. One more example. All of you are called to be generous. And you would think that any amount of money given by any person that was equal to another would do the same. It doesn't work that way. The gift of generosity does more than the same amount given apart from that gift. This is an empowered gift that actually does more than you would expect. And sometimes it's because it's at the exact right moment. And I can tell you about times where people who had the gift of giving didn't know my need and met it because they have that gift. That's the idea here. Okay. Now one last thing that needs to be said here. If this is true, then you cannot use the gift you know you have to excuse yourself from other things. I don't ever want to hear in this church, well, I can't do that because that's not my gift. This is stuff the whole body does, and gifts don't excuse you from the one another's. But, but we should lean into the gifts that we have. And if you identify them, you should think, how can I use this to greater benefit to the body? Sometimes it means you're going to do the same thing, but in a different way. Okay. As a pastor, I have to lead. I don't really feel like I have the gift of leadership. But I can lead through teaching. So that's what I do. Okay. It's, it's like this... Uh, those of you who have the gift of service and seek to in, encourage and build up other Christians and take on disciples and mentor, the way you're going to do it is by inviting people into your service. You're going to say, hey, this woman's having you know, plumbing issues. I'm going to go fix it. Come along with me. These things shape your ministry. Now, let's just look very quickly through the gifts that are listed here in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Okay, as I mentioned before, these are are epiphany realities where somebody just speaks and untangles the Gordian knot. Where there's wrestling and and confusion, and then suddenly there's clarity. And if there's a distinction here between an utterance of wisdom and an utterance of knowledge, sometimes this word of knowledge knows things that shouldn't be known. Okay. It just says, I think what it is is this. And you go, that's exactly what it is. I didn't even know that that's what it is. You know. What else is on the list here? To another faith by the same spirit. Now, two things. The faith that saves, what we call saving faith, is a requirement for all Christians. And that's not a spiritual gift in the sense that we're talking about here. So what does he mean here that some are given the gift of faith? I would suggest to you this is an ability to believe in the miraculous and impossible in moments where it's greatly necessary. Jesus says if you have faith you can move mountains. This is that faith. And you will meet these people sometimes who will say, God is calling us to do this, and everybody will go, no way. They'll go, yeah, it's okay. Let's go. That's the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. Now, I want you to notice there, because it's important, this is the only gift that's listed in the plural. It's the gift of prophecy, the gift of an utterance of wisdom. It's the gifts of healing. And that's true all four times this gift is listed in 1 Corinthians. So it seems to matter. Okay. What I would suggest is, at the very least, this doesn't point to somebody 
who is a healer. Okay, now we're going to come back to this in just a minute, but at the very least here it suggests that there's a variety within the gift itself. A diversity within the gift itself. But other than that, it's pretty self-explanatory. Healing is healing. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Okay, and remember, prophecy is not just fortune telling. It's not just foretelling the future. There are portions of our scriptures that we consider prophetic that do just that. And we can see Agabus in Acts chapter 11 who says, there's a big famine coming, we need to stock up and prepare. And it labels him as a prophet. But what a prophet does effectively is speak the word of God. And so again, it is a gift that has a revelatory aspect. But it's not something that is true for all Christians everywhere, like the scriptures that we're reading here. It's a word for now, for you. And we'll talk about prophecy more in the future. But again, it has that element of being self-validated. More on that next week. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Often we call this the gift of discernment. My friend James has this gift. And I love it. Because it's so helpful. Because I'll come to him in all my problems and things. And every once in a while I'll go, do you think maybe this is spiritual warfare? And I'll go, oh... Right? It's just, it would have never occurred to me. And he just sees what's really going on. And it's weird traveling with him because sometimes we walk into a place or a conversation and he just doesn't feel right about something. And I know we all get those eerie senses, but I can't tell you how often he's been proven right. right? He has the gift of discernment. And when I have a hard time figuring out, you know, like here it says discerning the spirits, what is good and what's bad, what's true and what's right, I call James. Uh, Various kinds of tongues. We'll talk more about that in in weeks ahead. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And then, like I said, if we looked at at Romans 12, we could add gifts of leadership. If we look later in um, 1 Corinthians 12 here, we can add helping and administration. Okay, There's all sorts of gifts that are listed here. And so the question becomes, if God has supernaturally gifted you to serve the body of Christ, How do you know what your gifts are? And I'd like to suggest to you a couple of ways. One is, gifts are often related to our desires. Not always. It is totally possible to desire a gift that God hasn't given you and doesn't ever give you. But a lot of times, the way that we look at the body of Christ, the things that we feel need to be done, the longings we have in our heart, not just for ourselves, but for other Christians... A lot of times, that kind of points in the general direction of our gifts. Paul says in another place, the Lord works in us both to will and to do. That means along with your gifts, God gives God-given desires to use those gifts. And again, I know about this mostly in my own life. So here's what it's like. When I first became a Christian, the, the Bible, the power of it, the truth of it, And the ability to use it powerfully in other people's lives blew my mind. At the time, because I'd lived kind of a messy life, I was pretty sure I was disqualified to ever do this. I didn't think that teaching was something I could do. And actually, when I first met Jesus, I developed such a bad stutter and an inability to look people in the eye. I just thought there was no way. It just wasn't on the table. But I was obsessed with helping other people encounter good Bible teaching. And this was all the way back in like 2002 and I was dreaming of online sermon libraries. So the whole world would have good teaching available. I can directly trace that to where I am now. So desire is a good one. Here's a better one. Listen to the Christians around you. I'm not saying that you should walk up to everybody and say, you know, like some children's book, do you know what my gift is? You know, and then the duck goes to the other family and says, do you know what my gift is? That's not what I mean. But I mean that we should normalize as a church recognizing the gifts when they're operating and encouraging people and say, hey, do you think you might? And again, that's part of my story. 
okay? So years later, I go to Bible college. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm still obsessing about these things. I don't really have a plan or a trajectory or any of that. And Craig Finley, who's coming tonight, I'm in one of his classes, and it's just, we call it public devotional speaking. It's five-minute expositions of a little passage of scripture. And the very first time I got out there, I still remember I did Psalm 29. I talked for about four and a half minutes, and then I stopped. And he said, how long have you been teaching? I said, that's the first time I've ever had an opportunity. And he pulled me aside after the class and he said, I think you have a gift for teaching. And to be honest, I don't know if I'd be here if I hadn't had that conversation. Because it both affirmed everything I ever wanted and terrified me. And I spent the rest of the afternoon just kind of on my floor in prayer because, because I was like, wait, really? You know. But I've watched and I've seen this happen in other places. And I've even seen the gifts used to identify the gifts. I remember one time I was at a, a retreat with a bunch of other pastors and ministers. And at that time I was a part of a Bible college. And there was another student. And as I was praying, I was just sitting behind all these students and praying for them one by one. And I just felt God say, that guy has the gift of leadership and you need to tell him. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. And I just couldn't shake it. And so I came up with one of those scenarios where it's like, all right, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask him if I can pray for him. And then I'm going to say, do you feel like God is calling you to something not big in general, but something specific? And if he says yes, then I'll tell him this. And so I sit this kid down and I ask him that. And he's like deer in headlights. Which, side note, that's the way prophecy works. Prophecy is when somebody says something and suddenly you're just naked before them. It's like, whoa, that is inside stuff, not outside stuff. But he gets wide-eyed, and so I just told him. And I said, but this is what God has for you. But, you know, and I gave him a little bit of advice, and I prayed for him. It was really simple. But I'm sure the next time I see Matt, if I ask him, that was formative. It's important. And like I said, sometimes people are going to encourage you, and you're going to be like, wow. That was like a straight boost of vitamin C right into the bloodstream. You know, that was not normal. Because we try and encourage each other all the time, and we're not very good at it. Right, But when it happens, you know. Okay, and then the last thing that I would suggest about these gifts, um, and this, this requires a little bit of unpacking, but I want you to notice what he says again in verse 31. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now that's strange. The reason that's strange is because uh, just before that, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, look back at verse 11. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. Who doles out the gifts? The Spirit. Then Paul says at the end of the chapter, but you should desire the best gifts. Now that may feel paradoxical, it may feel intention, but it's just like the rest of the tension in the passage. To each, all. One, many. Unity, difference. And in the same way, the Spirit calls the shots. But it doesn't mean you can't call the request line. Paul wants us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And so, one of the things I would suggest in your own discerning of the gifts is, one, you ask God what he's given you. Ask him to show you. And then two, if there's gifts that you feel like would be beneficial the things that are in front of you, ask for them. If there's gifts that you feel like would be building up for your family or for your small group or even for your own self, that's clearly how the gift of tongues is, as we'll talk about. It's mostly just a gift for you. Okay. It's still a valuable gift. And I would suggest here, Paul says, if you want it, you should ask for it. Now, does that guarantee you're going to get it? Do you just have to sign up in advance and you know pay the tuition and now you have this gift? No. It's the same tension we always have in prayer. But here's the unpacking that needs to go into this that we need to understand. There's three different ways that the gifts are talked about. First, there is the level of happening. And and you can imagine this. If somebody gives you a one-time use gift, it's still a gift. 
And some of the things that are laid out here in my own observation and the way that it's described here, it's not best to describe them as God has gifted you to be a wise person, but right there in that conversation, he gave you the gift of an utterance of wisdom. And my professor at school, um, Dr. Brashears, he believes that explains all the gifts. I don't think he's right. Because there are also gifts and descriptions of gifts that seem more consistent and longstanding. Okay? And so if God has given you individual happening gifts, he seems to have given you a large supply of them. Okay. And the gift of teaching is this one. I don't have to pray every time I get up here, God, please give me the gift of teaching this morning. I think that I have it, and I seek to operate in that gift. And then there are the gifts that become roles and offices. And so here he doesn't talk about the gift of apostleship. He talks about apostles. In Ephesians, he doesn't just talk about teaching. He talks about teachers. He doesn't just talk about the gift of evangelism, but evangelists. Okay. Now, again, that that category exists doesn't mean that everybody has that. Those who are given the gift of wisdom are not sages and shouldn't be treated as such. And you may, you may very well have the gift of teaching, but never have the formal role or office of it. And especially with prophecy. The threshold between experiencing the gift of prophecy and being a prophet is one that is crossed way too quickly and foolishly. But when you look at the gifts as a whole, you see those three categories, varieties and differences of gifts and of service and of manifestations, all of these words. Okay. And so I would suggest that if you are open to the spiritual gifts, if you use the one God is giving you, if you desire that other ones are there, if you wait on the spirit with other Christians, you're going to experience a variety of things. Like I suggested earlier, I think that I have experienced the gift of prophecy, both in receiving and giving. I don't think of it as a gift that I can just engage in normally. But when it comes to the gift of teaching, that's something that I experience regularly and significantly, and now it is part of my role. So, what, what is my suggestion in closing? First and foremost... Church, we need the manifestation of the Spirit. Amen. And if you'll allow me to be a little bit sharp this morning, that's not gold teeth or feathers falling from the sky during our worship service. It's not some sort of happening. But that doesn't mean that it's not supernatural, and it doesn't mean that sometimes it's inexplicably supernatural. We need to believe in miracles and manifestations. That's part of the body of Christ, but they function as part of the body of Christ. And they function in our normal, day-to-day, love-one-another ministry for one another. Okay, okay so, so that's number one. We need this. And if this is an area that's new to you, and it doesn't matter if you're a brand-new Christian or you've been a Christian your whole life, and it doesn't matter if, um, you know, Uh, if you're really struggling with something or you feel like you're in a really mature place in your life as a Christian. Those are irrelevant. The gifts of the Spirit are given as He apportions. This is a bad example and it's supposed to be, but consider Samson. Supernatural reality wrapped up in tremendous immaturity. But Israel needed the gifts that God had given Samson. Could he have done more with them? Absolutely. He's the only judge in the entire book who never led an army. He just goes about his college pranks and God uses it for good. So we need the gifts. Second, we need to be open to other people using the gifts. Do you remember what it was like the first time somebody said to you, can I pray for you? Awkward. Right? It's weird. If you're not used to prayer yourself and somebody wants to just... It's a strange thing. And sometimes the gifts are that way. Okay. The first time somebody gave me a prophecy, it was weird. Okay. In fact, the whole night was weird. This lady was slaying people in the spirit. 
uh, and and you know it was supposed to be a Bible study, but nobody brought their Bibles, and the whole thing was super weird. But in the middle of this time of extended prayer, she just looks at me and makes eye contact with me, and boom, there it was, a defining prophecy, one that I can trace over the last 15 years as being valid and true, and I knew it in the moment. God spoke through Balaam, and he spoke through Balaam's donkey. But even when it's someone you really know and trust, sometimes when it's like a 70-year-old man, you're like, man, this guy's been walking with Christ for a long time. And he says, I'd like to share this with you. You go, oh, that's weird. Or maybe you're super independent, and somebody wants to be generous, and your nature is to say, no, 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 no. One time I was teaching at a church, first time I'd ever been there. It was the first time I'd ever taught for an adult service. The guy just graciously gave it to me. I taught for 20 minutes, and that was the last and only time that I taught that short. Uh, but, but a woman came up to me and palmed me like $150 after the service. A woman I'd never met, didn't even introduce herself. And I said, oh, no, I can't take this. And she said, how dare you? And I said, excuse me? And she said, how do you know that God didn't tell me to give you this money? Do you feel like the gift that you've just given us is more significant than mine? And I said, no, I'm so sorry. You're totally right. (laughs) And that's true with all the gifts, with encouragement and these types of things, with gifts of service. A lot of us don't like when we're having a hard time and somebody just comes and cleans our bathroom. Sometimes the Lord sends those people. And then finally, we need the gifts and also we need to lean into them. We need to lean into them because this is how the body grows. This is how we as individuals grow. This is the ministry that God has given you. This is the equipment that he's laid before you. All of these things are true. And so this shouldn't be secondary. It shouldn't be something that you're like, well... Maybe someday I'll go and figure these things out. It should be a proactive part of your life. Okay. So one of the things that I'd like to suggest is whatever your history or experience with the gifts are, come to the worship, uh, worship night tonight. And again, I know it's Mother's Day. I know not all you can be here. I'm not going to be taking attendance. It's fine. But one of the things we're going to do is we're just going to give room for the gifts to be used. We're going to ask God if he would like to speak to his people and be available, not just to hear, but sometimes to speak. And there's going to be a time for us to pray for one another, to discern what gifts are. And the same thing, please, it's so important to me, but as you see the gifts in operation, affirm them. Identify them. Um, And not just for the sake of the other person, but for your own sake. But I would, I would encourage you to spend time in prayer. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. But then lastly, and we're not going to spend a whole week on this, but we should. Okay, it's just, we're not going to do it. Did you notice how he finishes the chapter? He says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And what we have next is 1 Corinthians 13. Right, this famous chapter on love that's sometimes read at weddings. But it's a chapter about spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. Look at how chapter 14 opens. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Okay? It's it's not an aside. It's an interlude. And the point is that the purpose of the gifts is to better love the body. And again, that means you should desire them because you should love the church. You're called to do that. But it also means that if you use gifts in ways that are unloving, which is totally possible... Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of tongues and have not love, claiming symbols. If I give my very life to be burned, but it doesn't come from a place of life, what does it profit? And don't overvalue the gifts either. What does he say? Knowledge, that's the gift of knowledge, will pass away. Prophecy will pass away. But faith, hope, and love, these three remain. So... The desire for gifts can't be a desire for glory. Can't be a desire for a supernatural experience to you know, post on Instagram. It has to be, I want all you have for me for the sake of my family, the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's pray and let's just ask for just that together.
Father, especially in our modern world, there can be a tendency to just vacate the working of the Spirit from our lives. To, to just think of, of churches as the, you know, as the terminal as we wait for our flight to heaven. Or just, just a place where we uh, try and live as community because, because we're going to spend eternity together. Um, Lord, but this is your means of our present salvation. That the body builds up the body. And you haven't just given us that job. You have equipped us for it in the Holy Spirit. You have divinely empowered us. And I know, Father, that there are some here who are longing for the manifestation of your presence and the power of the Spirit in their own lives. Help us to see that that is the church, that you have given us one another for just that reason, so that you may work through your body and for your body. And I want to just take a moment here. I'll join you again in prayer in just a second, but, but just quietly, wherever you're at with the gifts, if there's gifts you have that you feel like you could utilize more, bring that before the Lord. If you think you might know where you have some gifting, but you need confirmation and affirmation, bring that before the Lord. If you don't know what it is that God desires to do in your life and the gifts that he's given, ask. But let's just take a moment here uh, before the Lord and just, um, just privately seek him in these things. Finally, Lord, I pray for anyone here who, who doesn't feel like they're of value or worth to the body of Christ. That feels like the things that they bring to the table just aren't important, aren't valuable. Pray for those who are discouraged because the things that they feel like doing or like to do, or, or maybe even the things that you've empowered them, it's, it's like you've given them a dead gift. But God, that's not how you see things. And again, there's no part of the body that is unnecessary. And for any of us to not do what you've called us to weakens us and, and keeps us from flourishing. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't just given us a family. You've made us a family. We are brothers and sisters. We are called not just to receive this community, but to build it up. And that burden is light, Lord, because you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. I pray, Lord, for a fully functioning body in our church. For every gift, as you desire to give, to be used. For us to be all members. But I pray as well, Lord, that we would be unified in that task. That we wouldn't divide over the gifts, but instead, Lord, we would use the gifts as one. disciples came back to you and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to our name. And the gifts can be exciting. Being used by you is a beautiful thing. But I pray that we would remember the answer you gave your disciples and it would be true for us as well. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let us never value the gifts over the gift of yourself. pray, Lord, that we would rest in our salvation and that we would lean into all you have for us, Lord, 
but the gifts wouldn't become an obstacle to that, um, that they wouldn't hinder that, Lord. Um, but as the Spirit always does, that the Spirit would point to Christ and lead to your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and continue in worship.